0: God's word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written... He had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word uh, that you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed the truth to us. We're so grateful that every week we can come into your house in uh, a world filled with so much confusion and we can hear the truth of your word, the truth that is in Christ. And uh, We pray that uh, you would give us a spiritual eyes to behold him and... That you would, by your Holy Spirit, lead us into to truth and grace and wisdom. And so uh, we open our hearts and our minds to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our topic today is that the gospel is political. And I'm you know i reluctant to have a sermon on politics. Not so much because politics are controversial, but because I think people are so sick of talking about politics and, and everything getting politicized. And so I I know for many of us we just want to come to church and hear the fresh air breeze of the love of our Savior for us and not talk more about politics. But this is a passage that's so explicitly political that the topic really can't be avoided. And uh, even that opening verse there in verse 12 where it says, the next day the large crowd that had come to the uh, feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem And when I picture large crowds from this last year in our culture, I mean, they're all political crowds, whether it's a Trump rally or it's a BLM protest. The crowds of the world are hungry for a kingdom, a nation, a leader they can believe in. And as Christians, we need a regular reminder that our faith is a political allegiance Our faith is a political allegiance. I don't mean allegiance to an American political party. I mean that we are citizens of heaven. We have our citizenship in heaven. Uh, We give our loyalty to a king, and our king is in heaven. And our confession is that Jesus is king. And uh, so we are like ambassadors Living in a foreign land, and we are representing our sovereign here, and we live under his rule. And our king has given us a constitution that we live under. Is the Bible? It's a written code that we live under, and uh, and also even the word church. The the Greek word for church, ekklesia, is a is a political word from the ancient world. It's a political gathering. So every Sunday when we gather together like this, this is a political gathering where we are coming to make a corporate confession that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And so this is the most important guiding principle for Christians as we engage then in the kind of American political culture. And what this passage warns us is that a chief temptation for God's people will be to let our American political allegiances subsume our primary allegiance to our King. And so today what I want to do is talk about the kingdom of Jesus that we're all part of, that we give our allegiance to. I want to highlight three important qualities of Jesus' kingdom that are are described in this passage. This is what they are. Is that Jesus' kingdom is international, Jesus' kingdom is peacemaking, and Jesus' kingdom is nonpartisan. All three of those things we see in this passage, that Jesus' kingdom is international, peacemaking, and nonpartisan, Nonpartisan. I think that each of these will help us as God's people to wisely navigate the waters of our kind of political culture in, uh, in America and our day. So, three important truths this morning. The first is that Jesus' kingdom is international. And one of the most important storylines of the Bible is that Jesus is building a kingdom of people from every race, every culture, every continent, every language. And uh, one of the main things that Jesus was challenging during, the, his, first, uh, during his final week in Jerusalem was the nationalism of the, the, the Jews who were living in Jerusalem at that time. They had believed themselves to be God's chosen people. And they weren't just God's chosen people so that they could bring blessing to all the nations of the world. They wanted their own supremacy. And so they, that's why the Jews of Jerusalem, they're waiting for the Messiah who would come and make them into the greatest nation in the world. And so you'll notice a couple of things in this passage. Uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It says in verse 13 So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, palm branches were deeply symbolic. Uh, uh, they had deep symbolic meaning from previous re- revolts that uh, Israel had been a part of in the centuries leading up to uh, uh, Jesus, um, the time of Jesus. So, for example, the, they revolted against the Greeks in the second uh, century BC. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was a Greek king that had, come, you know, invaded Jerusalem, and uh, and in First Maccabees thirteen, this is what it says: It says the Jews made their entry on the 23rd day of the month in the year 171 BC with acclamations and carrying palms to the sound of lyres, cymbals, and harps, chanting hymns and canticles since a great enemy had been crushed and thrown out of Israel. So palm branches mean it's time to crush our enemies. And during, there were two other revolts against the Romans that Israel was a part of. And as a part of trying to, you know, established their independence, they printed their own money, and they would put on the coins palm branches. Palm branches represented rebellion and revolution. And uh, even the song that the people sing in verse 13 there, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a quote from Psalm 118. But then they add a little line to the psalm, and it says, even the king of Israel. That's not in Psalm 118. And what they started singing is the king is here for us. And so they don't have in mind the, the international vision of Jesus' kingdom that he came to bring as, for the kingdom of God. He's bringing people from every nation. And, you know, if you've read this passage before, you might think, well, this is a beautiful thing. Everyone's coming out with their palm branches and they're, they're singing to Jesus. And, and uh, this is a good thing. Of course it's a good thing for Israel to bring their national symbols and lay them. At the feet of Jesus. But John makes clear that they didn't understand what they were doing. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. And you know in the other gospel accounts. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on, the, on a donkey. You know the first thing that he does when he comes into Jerusalem. Is he goes to the temple. And the temple had a, 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 like a 30 acre courtyard uh, around it. Which was there, uh, where people, you know, who would pilgrim, uh, make pilgrimage pilgrimages to uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover week, and many were foreigners, and they would come, and they'd come into this courtyard, and they could sing hymns, and they could pray, and people would be giving sermons, and they'd be learning about God, but the Jews in Jerusalem had turned it into this bazaar. It was like a market where they're selling animals and things for worship, and uh, and so, you know, Jesus famously comes in, and he turns over all the tables. Because you imagine if you'd traveled all these miles, and you come to Jerusalem, and you're trying to worship God, and everyone's trying to sell things around you? and you're like how am I connecting with God when everyone's trying to sell stuff and so Jesus when he flips over the tables what does he say to them he says is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a den of robbers See, Jesus has in mind that the, the all the people from all the nations are going to come and worship God. And you'll notice that the next verse in the passage we're going to look at next week in verse 20, I included in the reading today, says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is directly challenging the, the nationalist, revolutionary, and exclusive spirit of the Judean Jews in Jerusalem. And so the the first kind of quality of the kingdom that we're all a part of is the international, it's an international kingdom. And uh, our primary citizenship is in heaven. So who should we feel political unity with? You know, if there's an African Christian who worships God, that's who we feel political unity with. Or a Korean Christian who worships God, that's who we feel political unity with. That's true in our church. If we have differences in our American politics, our deepest political unity is in the confession that Jesus is Lord, who's come as the Messiah. It, what, what should you do if you don't feel that way? If you feel, feel like the people in our church, I can't feel connected to them, I think that if, if our American political allegiances are more supreme than our allegiance to the kingdom of God, it's a time for repentance, And one of the great ways we get to repent every Sunday is we say the Apostles' Creed together. The Apostles' Creed is like our Pledge of Allegiance where we all say this is what we believe is a kingdom. And people from every nation today are saying that Apostles' Creed, saying that profession. We believe in Jesus. And the people in our church that we disagree with is we say that allegiance together. It's like we're all ambassadors who are being like sworn in again. We're in this foreign nation and we represent the king and this is who we represent and this is who we stand for is I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, on the one hand, receives the praise that they are giving, but he also wants to correct something in their spirit. And the way he does that is he does this famous action that you see in verse 14 where he says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. So I I think by Jesus riding on a donkey, he's highlighting a second quality of his kingdom. So the first quality is that Jesus' kingdom is international. The second quality of his kingdom is uh, that Jesus' kingdom is peacemaking. Jesus' kingdom is peacemaking. And And the reason I say peacemaking is because normally when a king shows up at his capital city and, you know, all the people come out to praise him, he comes riding on a war horse. Because a war horse is a symbol of victory and strength and confidence. And so Jesus coming on a donkey is communicating something very different. At least he's saying, I'm not here to form an army. We're not going to war with the Romans. Like, change the plan that you have. And uh, this passage quotes from uh, Zechariah 9, which is a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And whenever the, the Bible quotes another part of the Bible, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, the writer is always assuming that we know what chapter that's taken from. So what they're really doing is they're quoting the whole chapter, but they're doing it shorthand by just giving you the main verse from it. So I'm going to read to you the broader section of a, a Zechariah 9, and this is what It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus comes riding on the donkey, he's coming to say, I'm coming to speak peace to the nations. And so that's why I say Jesus' kingdom is a, is a peacemaking kingdom. And the defining quality from Zechariah 9 of a peacemaking king is humility, is that he's humble. Humility calms people's anxieties. And you know Jerusalem was uh, anxious in the year 30 A.D. when when all these events are happening. You know Jerusalem was normally. The population is about 20,000 people, but during the Passover week, as many as 400,000 people would come to Jerusalem. It's just crowds in the city, and there's all kinds of discussion happening about the political life of Israel and the Romans. And, uh, you know, Passover was, of course, the feast that was remembering when Israel was saved out of slavery and God crushed the Egyptians. And so there, you know, there's a lot of political zeal that's wrapped up in that. And word is just got out to all these 400,000 people that someone is showing up to the city who's a potential Messiah. And you see there in verse 17 how it says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And so arriving at the capital city during Passover is a prophet who just raised someone from the dead. And the revolution, you know, everyone's like, the Messiah, the guy, just raised someone from the dead. And he's showing up to the city. And everyone's like, it is go time. Let's get the army together. And our time has finally come. And so there's all this energy and anxiety in the city. And what does Jesus do? He says, all right, someone going to get a donkey. I'm going to ride it on a donkey instead of a war horse. And he's like, riding on, why is he riding on a donkey? And I mean, you just imagine, like, you know, Trump coming to a, a press conference or a, a rally on a donkey, and everyone would be like, Why is he on a donkey? Like, it's such a strange thing. And there is a disarming humility to the Son of God when he comes as the true king of the world. And what's more anxiety reducing or even comical than a donkey? And uh, but I think there's a strange confidence to it. And you know, this is how I picture Jesus riding it as, on a donkey into Jerusalem is, um, I was, uh, I was listening to an interview a couple uh, months ago. Conan O'Brien was interviewing Ricky Gervais. And if you don't know Ricky Gervais, he's a, a comedian who's known for, like, making fun of a lot of uh, kind of Hollywood elites. And he's known for saying the unsayable in his comedy routines. And so Conan was asking him about, like, how do you do this? How do you say the thing that you can't say? And everyone says you can't say. And he says, well, it, it's not unsayable. People think it's unsayable. But if it was unsayable, then everyone would get up and leave the room when I said it. But they don't. They stay through the whole routine. And they stay to the end. And they make it to the end. And he said the way that he thinks about comedy is that it's like the audience is a little child. And he's taking them by the hand. He says, we're going to walk through a forest fire. And I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to walk you through the forest fire. And then we're going to get to the end of it. And we're going to look at and you look, we made it. And we're okay. You thought we couldn't walk through the forest fire. And we did. And I think there's something about Jesus on the donkey here coming into all the anxiety. And, I, you know, I think a 2020 is kind of like a forest fire that we're all like a little child walking through. And I picture us like Jesus is holding our hand, riding on the donkey, and we're going to get through the forest fire. And we're going to be on the other side, and he's going to look at us, and he's going to say, see, we're okay. And we're okay. We made it. There's a calmingness. There's something about a donkey that I think calms and I think we would be more wise as Christians in our political moment if we saw ourselves more like children walking through a forest fire with Jesus holding our hand, riding on a donkey, telling us we're going to be okay. There's peace. He's a peacemaking king. And I think then when we have that peace, we're understa- able to understand the third quality of Jesus' kingdom. So I, Jesus' kingdom is international. It's It's peacemaking. The third quality is that Jesus' kingdom is non-partisan. Jesus' kingdom is non-partisan. And you see in uh, verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, the Pharisees were a political faction in ancient Israel who used... Religi- you know, strict religious observance was a way that they kind of marked people out of, you know, are you on the side of the Romans? Are you, on the- are you being true to Israel? And so they'd use these religious markers to kind of form boundaries of who's in and out. And they were famous for being enemies of Jesus. And, you know, when you see this conflict between the strict religious observance of the Pharisees and the Jews and then you, the Romans, you know, they, had, they were culturally different. They were religiously different. They had these different worldviews and whose side is Jesus on? So the Messiah shows up. Which side is he on? And, uh, of course, uh, Jesus bu- viewed both the strict religious observance of the Jews and the Romans as both worldly. And I think that's it's important for us to recognize, too, that in our culture, the cultural divides in our culture, both sides are worldly. And, of course, as Christians, Jesus says we have to live in the world. We have to be in the world. We can't, you can't get out of the world. And so we have to, as Christians, ally ourselves with American political parties. But we must constantly keep distinct the kingdom of heaven from the city of man. We must maintain a critical engagement with the political movements in our culture. I think it's important to recognize that Jesus had things that he agreed with. With the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Jesus believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the Bible. Jesus believed in the Bible. Jesus said, even you should do what the Pharisees say when they are teaching Moses, because don't do what they do, but do what they do. What, uh, do what they say, because they're teaching you God's word. And so he has an interesting relationship to this faction. It's not total disagreement. Also, it's interesting you look at the political identities of uh, Jesus' disciples. You look at the the list of disciples he called. There was Simon the Zealot, who was a revolutionary. He wanted to form an army and go to war against the Romans. And then you have Matthew the tax collector, who worked for the Romans. I mean, you could not have two opposite political backgrounds in these two people. He calls them both to himself and says, follow me. And they both are turned into part of the leadership of the church that Jesus was going to build. And so... uh, I think the only way to say that is Jesus' kingdom is nonpartisan. How do we reflect that nonpartisan quality of Jesus' kingdom in our church? Just two thoughts on this, practical thoughts on this. First, don't feed anger. Don't feed anger. And you look in verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, You are gaining nothing. Okay, the Pharisees are a faction, and now they have factions within them. They're pointing fingers at one another. See, it's your fault. He's doing it. And that's part of the worldly spirit of the Pharisees. And, of course, you might say, well, listen, we have real disagreements about political. I mean, political decisions affect people's lives profoundly. And shouldn't we be angry when someone believes something that's wrong and that's affecting other people's lives? So, you know, my family and I have been reading through Ephesians uh, at our dinner table and we just were in chapter 4 came upon this this verse where it says the apostle Paul says be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And, you know, we always apply that verse to be about marriage. You know, when you get in a fight with your spouse, you know, make sure you get it figured out before you go to bed. But I was thinking, like, you know, a lot of the anger in our culture, this would be, you know, Paul says, be angry. You should be angry because things matter. But be angry and do not sin. And only for a time. Do not feed the anger. The anger wants to be fed, and it will grow, and it will turn into a monster. And if our anger grows too much, we have a danger that, Uh, we have the possibility of doing something worse than the very thing that we were angry about in the first place. So I think the first calling is, is don't feed anger. The second calling, do see each other in Christ. Do see each other in Christ. And you know, the second comment from the Pharisees, I love this, the second part of verse 19, look, the world has gone after him. And I, I love that, that, you know, you're thinking about Jerusalem with the 400,000 people that are there. And they're all different. And they have different opinions. And the Pharisees are like, people from every faction are going after Jesus. You know, there's the tax collectors and the zealots and the prostitutes and the sinners and everyone. All different kinds of people. And there's even Pharisees that are going after him and believing in him. And I think that that's the thing. You know, that's been helpful to me even in the church. To remember, like, if I have a disagreement with someone in our community, to be like, I know They love Jesus. I know that they respond to his word with obedience. I know that they went after him. They were part of the whole world, the diverse world that went after Jesus. And to see each other that way. And I know that this all sounds religious and not political. But the whole point of this sermon is our faith is a political confession that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And the great storyline in history is that Jesus, the true king of the world, is building an international kingdom. People from every culture are going after him, including us. And he alone can give us peace because he's the humble king riding on a donkey, taking our hand through the forest fire of this world, and we will find that we'll make it out on the other side. In the meantime, we must not let American political division, uh, American politics divide us. We must not feed our anger, but see one another as those who have been loved by Jesus, who have been captured by the vision of his kingdom. Let's pray together.